So, in yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, we spoke about these three domains of inquiry, personal, the interpersonal, and the impersonal, subjective, the objective, the intersubjective, the realm of self, the realm of other, and the realm of worlds, different ways of describing that. When I first uh, was reflecting on putting the course together, I wondered if um, how to use these evenings, and I wondered about different kinds of uh, tra trajectories or domains of inquiry, self, other, and world being one, or uh, body, heart, and mind, physical life, emotional life, mental life being another. But then I realized that there's, there's a very nice uh, interlap. Interlap? Overlap. Interlap's quite good, isn't it? Interlap. There's a nice interlap between those. In so much as yesterday when we explored the realm of body, we're seeing, uh, of self, we see how the, we were exploring the, that, uh, the strong sense of identification with body. And then when we explore the realm of other, you see that other is essentially a matter of the heart. I mean, of course, we have physical contact with others, and we might generate a lot of views about others, but the, the, the intensity of our relationship with you, whoever the you is, is primarily an emotional relationship. The most significant others in our lives are the ones that we have strong feelings about. Pleasant or unpleasant, you know, loving or hating, the ones that impact the others <coughs> that impact us the most. The impact is an emotional impact, and if we generate strong views about somebody, those views are born out of the emotional affect of our love for them, or our frustration with them, or our fear of them, or our anger with them, etc. So to explore the realm of other is to explore um, with the heart. There tends to be two basic styles of how we relate to um, others. And that's what we could call kind of an extroverted style or an introverted style. In psychological terms, it's the narcissistic narcissism or a, you know, sort of narcissistic pull for contact and reflection and mirroring. And or it's the schizoid withdrawal. To, so the, either the pull for contact with other, and some of us feel more secure in contact with mother more uh, reassured through the contact with another. And then the other side is the pushing back from contact with other. And some of us feel more secure, more reassured in kind of recovering a sense of solitude or what's usually contemporary called having my own space. It's interesting, we live, in a, we live in a culture that puts a lot of value on having our own space. We get used to having our own space. At the, at the Mulan where I live, there are only a few single rooms. 
So most people who come on retreat have to share rooms. And actually everybody would like a, you know, not everybody, mostly people would much prefer to have a single room. And for some, the idea of sharing a room is quite uh, scary or threatening. And people will often say, well, I'll own, I'll own, I can only go on retreat if I get my own room. You contrast that often with uh, uh, an Indian, a very good Indian friend who I've known for a long time. Indian culture doesn't uh, often reinforce, it's not such, it's a more of a communal culture as opposed to a more individualistic culture. And a friend there who was invited uh, by his family to go on a pilgrimage to various holy places. And his condition of going was, all right, I'll go as long as I never have to sleep in my own, on my own, in a room. As long as I can share a room. It's kind of interesting, just the contrast of that which, for one, would be a, a, a particular kind of comfortable relationship with other, and for another, the complete opposite is what would be the comfortable relationship. So you probably don't want to define yourself as either narcissistic or schizoid. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but you can probably recognize uh, you know, the, the pull towards contact with other as a place where you kind of get some sense of reassurance or security, or the pull away from uh, other as that, as that place. Or, and possibly some kind of uh, mixture of the two. In the, in the group before we started, we were talking a little bit about uh, anatta, the sense of not self. And we refer, we've referred to that at other times in the course. But in the light of exploring this realm of how we are with you, with other, with other people, I think it's interesting just to like change this conception because we, we spoke earlier about how the sense of self and the sense of other are completely mutually dependent, right? We construct and reinforce and imagine and describe a sense of self in contrast to sense of other. Anybody who's spent a very long time completely on their own reports, whether they're doing any kind of practice or not, reports that their sense of self just starts to thin out and, and diminish because it's not being defined constantly and redefined by the sense of other. And similarly, all the, the views we have about other, the relationships we have with other, rea the reactions we have to other are all reactions looking at, describing, comparing other in in, uh, in relation to me, the sense of self. So, given this, this emphasis on not-self in Buddha's teachings, the, what we were speaking about earlier in the group as the refutation of self-existence, that also inevitably, inexorably implies not-other. We're very really here speaking about not-other, not about not self, because we're all a bit self-obsessed. Right? So we go, oh, is there a self or isn't there a self? You know, this kind of anxiety about the sense of self. But what about other? Is there an other? Or isn't there another? What does it mean to, to explore in this realm in terms of not other? How might that inform our relationship with others? Those we care about, those we just have uh, <coughs> contact with? 
those we don't know but nevertheless can fabricate all kinds of views about how might it change how we meet other beings in the light of not other how might it be if we gave as much attention to a sense of not other as we might be exercised by questions of self or not self and in the meditation then it was some kind of you know pointing to the ways in which like I was saying in the meditation common sense just obviously and categorically seems to establish an obvious sense of other and yet actually when we attend to the uncommon sense of a kind of direct intimate awareness we find that the 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 actual direct experience of other doesn't stand up other isn't out there and seeing can as 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 much as we can direct the seeing to the object that's seen or to the object the subject that's the seer we can't really say if the seeing is out there or in here we can equally say well I'm seeing the world or we can equally say well seeing is happening in awareness and as we said in the meditation it's actually harder with seeing but which is why I started with the hearing and maybe you have maybe you had a sense of that maybe you've had many senses of that in your, in your life through practice or just through some moment of intimacy with another where the intimacy whether it's conversational intimacy or affectionate intimacy or sexual intimacy or um, or even just a kind of intellectual intimacy like feeling like oh we share some understanding those moments where not only the boundary in that moment between self and other a specific other seems to drop away but where something in that experience kind of whispers to us or speaks of us of a more fundamental way in which we're never actually separate from other it speaks of us of a, of a, a fundamental not otherness so an inquiry into this isn't trying to start isn't trying to just like with self we're not trying to replace a view there is a self with a different view called there isn't a self we're not trying to replace a view of others are out there to another view others aren't out there or others are just in here we're not trying to rely on any kind of positionality. That's the spirit of what the Buddha called the middle way, right? Not relying on the position. Others are out there or others are in here. But to inquire into othering in all its manifestations, the ways we make people other, the ways we make people other um, just experientially, sensorially, conceptually, emotionally, judgmentally, And so, other, of course, is based on a sense of difference. Again, just in the very immediate sense. There seems to be a difference between the one who's in here, who I can't see. Right? I, mean, I can see my legs, but I can't see my, my face. And the one who, ones who are out there who I can see. And so it's not just the self-other difference-making I do, but then it's all the different other, 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 other between you. I can point to all your differences, and that's obvious to me. And I'm not 
trying for a moment to deny those differences. There are differences here, different, important differences, personal differences, unique differences, valuable differences. How dull it would be if there wasn't any difference. If I just looked out and just saw humans right, in some kind of flat, grey, uh, non, non-differentiated, non-different way. How dull it would be if humans just had one set of uh, beliefs, one set of reactions, one set of uh, preferences, one set of wishes, etc. So this, as an inquiry, it's not one to try to dissolve or deny uh, difference, but an inquiry into difference. What do we do with difference? And how might our othering or our difference making uh, or our contractions around fear of, of difference Right, the fundamental fear, oh, you're somehow different from me, other than me, therefore I meet you in some kind of either suspicious, tentative, anxious, complicated way, or, that's the more the, the schizoid side, or I meet you in some kind of needy, desperate, pulling kind of way. That's the narcissistic side. Does it sound like fun so far? <laughs> And within that, so we start, if we, as we start to inquire, we start to see both a, a longing for other. The fact of feeling ourselves to be separate from other means there's a, there's a, there's a fundamental longing for non-otherness. That's the great romantic story of every pop song and rom-com and novel, uh, etc. In fact, that's where most of the energy of the longing for non-otherness in our culture, it's largely a secular culture, right? And therefore, romance is the only place that secular culture has to go for the dream or the longing of non-otherness. And of course, the religions also speak in great measure to that kind of longing for non-otherness. But uh, God is dead. Uh, in terms of our kind of cultural, the, the ba- basic centre of gravity or orientations of, of most cultural expressions, certainly public culture. And so, hence the, the rise of the kind of romantic um, dream and longing around this real fundamental human need for non-otherness, for inclusion, for intimacy, for a kind of for a surrender. So we inquire into difference or other making and we start to see both our compulsion to cross that bridge or dissolve that distance and we see our tentativeness or fear and the ways we make difference out of that. So what are some of the ways that we make up difference? What do we make a difference around? We're focusing in what is different. Right, right. So there's plenty to see physically that's different. Mm-hmm. And not just that we see difference. If all we if we looked out and just see a oh, difference, difference, difference. Right? If we just see our oh, difference, we might see in just difference a kind of richness, a variety, a 
complexity, you know, the kind of marvellous, creative, endless fecundity of life to come up with an, a literally infinite amount of difference. The fact that no two beings resemble each other. I'm often struck by that. When I see people, just this afternoon, in fact, I was walking down the street and I saw somebody who looked really like a friend of mine. Oh, yeah? But of course, it didn't look exactly like. And the very fact that they, we're not, we, that the difference is so rich. It's kind of r mind blowing, extraordinary, wonderful. And we all end up as these kind of more or less functional beings. <laughs> we all end up with, you know, varieties on the same kind of apparatus. And yet, in, in, in a kind of infinite variety and uniqueness. And yet our tendency, of course, the way to have a conceptual framework, to have a conceptual sophistication to our operation, is to be able to not just recognize difference, but name difference. And then in the naming difference and ascribing meaning to those difference, we don't just see difference, we see difference in terms of gender, <coughs> in terms of ethnicity, <coughs> the visible signifiers of difference, age, ethnicity, and gender are actually not always visible, but uh, often visible. Or what other signifiers? You know visible difference. You were saying, like when you meet someone, like the skits were. Yeah. I was just thinking. I mean, it's like whatever they are, it, it's like you want something from that person, or that you want something from them. So you know, it's kind of like interesting being here with. You. We're all, here for the same, we're all here for the same kind of thing. And so when you're chatting to people, there isn't really a sense of that. Like mm. you might just kind of say hi or have a book or something. But in life, we're always going around and we want, you know, I want to get a good deal on that. I want to buy something from you. Mm. So it just struck me like you want something from them even if that's like you want to run away from them or you want to get close to them. Yeah. And so what if you don't want anything? Hmm. Is that what we want to do? Let's see. I, I, I think it's helpful rather than posture of where I want to get to, you know, like, okay, ideally then, let's see if I can not want anything from anyone. It's like, you know, hu there's just there's basic human drives, biological drives, emotional drives. So I think that's an important observation. We want stuff from people. And then that's where the inquiry can go. Inquiring into the wanting. What is it that I'm wanting? What's the wanting doing to my relationship with this person right now? And letting the inquiry go into the wantings rather than positing some destination, some ideal called not wanting anything from anyone. I don't know if that's possible. And I say that just, just to undercut the idea of destination because I think the perception is important. Oh yeah, I want something. And to inquire into that, that's what we're going to have a chance to do this evening. Martin, I just want to note, note lightly that, yes, there are obvious signifiers of difference mm. other than this, but in my othering <coughs> people, it's actually the stories that I heap up on top of those right. <coughs> signifiers, which are problematic for me, and which I call out to him and try to notice what I'm doing, this, but it's those stories which mm. are right. predicated on very flimsy um, apparently objective signifiers, which are factually right. 
Exactly. So just from <coughs> sitting in a group like this for a couple of days, right? Yeah. Some people you've maybe done inquiries with or worked with or you've heard people speak in the hall and then based on those flimsiest of things... Or not even them speaking. Exactly. You can go on a silent retreat with people for 10 days and it's sometimes not even until you speak to them at the end of the 10 days that you realise that the fact that they appear is like... as. It's like, oh, it's only then that you realise that I've constructed a whole view about you based on absolutely nothing. By the way, you have your the meditation tool. Exactly. Really me. Exactly. Exactly. The way the way you didn't leave your flip flops very neatly together when you exactly. came in the door of the meditation hall. I got very frustrated with someone all through a retreat for that once. Like, Why don't they, don't they know? Being mindful, you're supposed to leave your shoes on. <laughs> And they're very kind of like indignant and spiritually self-righteous about it. And then at the end I met that person and we became very good friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, you know, there's the, 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 the painful, hardening, <coughs> kind of prejudicial othering that w we do. Right. The othering which we spoke about a little bit last night as well. The, the, the way in which we make difference often not through actually kind of any, not necessarily any actual belligerent or um, aggressive means, but just often, often actually it just starts with some kind of unfamiliarity. And so other is a source of fear. And even known other as a source of fear. You can see we just meet others, even others that we know well, colleagues. You know that whole thing about an awkward silence? Right? Often what an awkward silence means is we're chatting away, chatting away, and we're sort of safe because we're chatting away as a way of not meeting. Right? And then we run out of something to talk about and oh, we actually meet for a moment. And there's something in the eye contact that kind of generates fear. Fear of seeing other in a fuller way, or fear of being seen by other in a fuller way. And then we say, awkward silence. And we quickly fill it up again with something else to say, and then we're back on more familiar territory. So we see that fear of other, even when with somebody that we know, that we feel affectionate towards, etc. And then how the fear of other gets, gets magnified greatly. And then, of course, the, the way other can be presented, presented, presented in all kinds of distorted ways, fearful ways, sensationalist ways, the othering that's done to refugees, the othering that's done through Islamophobia, the othering of misogyny and racism and all of those kind of self, uh, the social otherings, that it's easy to see as being the stuff of racists and misogynists and bigots and Islamophobes and etc. etc. And we might rightly be concerned about that and we might rightly uh, engage in some kind of social activism around that etc. And yet it's maybe humbling to see the that it's not very different than the same othering that we might do while feeling like we're somebody who's kind of progressive and inclusive and compassionate to all and sees all human beings as worthy of respect and dignity and love and etc. And then, despite all that, finding, oh, the, the, the contracting around some sense of other, having all kinds of small maybe or subtle or not so subtle views about other, 
fears of other, awkward relationships with other. So there's a certain inevitability, right, that we just, that unfamiliarity, as much as anything, breeds other. I was just hesitating to say this next bit because maybe I, I, would f I feel a little disloyal to my mum in saying it, but I think she probably won't mind. <laughs> maybe, ideally, she'll just never know. So she rarely listens to her. <laughs> She's heard enough. Uh, so my, my wife is half black Jamaican and half white Scottish. And just a couple of weeks, I met, I met her when I was living in Brixton. And my parents were generally just concerned that I was living in Brixton at all, right? Because they were still, even though this is like 10 years after the Railton Road riots, to them, Brixton just meant danger, fires in the road, and black people, right? Which was a source of fear. They'd grown up in this kind of white provincial world. And when I was visiting my parents, just before, um, this is like two weeks before I met my wife, I think, my mum said to me, we were talking about black people, right? We could have it in, I was living in Brixton, which is how the subject came up. She said, of course, I've got nothing against black people. I just wouldn't want to live near them. No, it was kind of, I was shocked, and I, I'm sure I, I gave some big rant at the time because I was kind of young and thought it was a good idea to rant to my parents in those days. And yet I could also see it, that it wasn't, it was really just born out of unfamiliarity and a, a kind of latent fear of difference that's just, you know, that's what, that's what we do, that's how we other people. And maybe that sounds like an extreme example, right? Now, when I met Gail and she came down to visit my parents, my mother immediately liked her, felt very connected to her. When we had children, they were very, very excited about the fact they got children, etc., etc. As soon as the familiarity is there, as soon as we see the humanness of someone we've made other, they cease to be other. And, you know, many people, I mean, my children have definitely had that experience, who have then also grown up in quite a white world. To hear their, their white friends at school uh, making various kind of, kind of racist jokes or something, and then the, my children say, hello? You know, well, well you know, they did, then their friends would talk about something related to that, and my children would say, well, what about me? And their friends would say, oh, yeah, but you're, you're, yeah, but you're different. You're one of us. Just because the familiarity dissolves otherness. This is a very interesting project that some friends are involved with in Israel, where they're um, getting the mothers of Israeli and Palestinian kids that have died, Israeli soldiers usually and Palestinian uh, activists that have died in the fighting there, and getting the mothers to meet. And of course, they, can't, they start off from these totally polarized positions, and then they realize that they're just, they're on both sides, they're, they're mothers who have lost sons. And that's way more, there's way more commonality and intimacy 
available in that, then there is difference around some kind of abstract, actually, ideological difference. And, you know, we don't, we look at these examples, we've also just got, you know, the Brexit, Remain, Leave camp and all the othering about that. And the just the kind of the the polarizing that we do across views, the basic dynamic, whether it's remain or leave, or whether it's Tory or Labour, or whether it's whatever left or right, or whether it's <coughs> progressive or conservative, it's really us and them. And what we tend to do across us and them in those kind of hotter, the one where we've got a really strong view. Right, a really strong view that we should leave the EU, or a really strong view that we should remain in the EU, is that the othering just gets intensified. And we're so busy trying to be right, and so busy convincing the other that the other is wrong, that we actually increase the otherness. And I was, I was, there was a, Ken Wilber wrote a really good, it's rather long, but a really good essay called um, Trump and the Post-Truth World. And I don't know if you know who Ken Wilber is, but um, it, this essay is really, it's long, but it's really worth checking out. And he was talking about this kind of, um, you know, this sort of polarization across, whether it's across left, right, or whatever, and the us and them. And, and the point he makes, it makes in the article, the only attitude that's really useful or worth having is that of compassion. And often, of course, that's what's missing. That's actually the great liberal, the great liberal problem. Often, the liberal view is the one that we're progressive and we everybody's deserving of love and respect and dignity. Except those on the other side who don't afford, and those ones don't afford. Uh, dignity and respect to certain groups because they are bigoted or they are racist or they are something and so we're incredibly intolerant of those people in the name of being tolerant to everyone we're gonna we've got to be tolerant to everyone regardless of their beliefs and regardless of their skin color and regardless of their gender and regardless of the thing and if you don't agree with that then I'm gonna be completely intolerant of you So I don't want to get too much into the minefield of uh, politics and all of that, but hey, that stuff isn't separate or different from how we are with each other, moment by moment. May, there's maybe a di there's a difference of scale, maybe there's a difference in intensity, but there's not a difference of of you know the the basic tendency to other each other in ways that separate and engender either fear and withdrawal or neediness and desperation. So, you can tell we're getting close to, closer to the inquiry now. So how do you other? That's really the inquiry. How do you other? Who is it hard for you to um, include, or identify w with, or be compassionate towards? And some of us, very, actually, ve it's very easy for us to be 
to feel close to and empathic with and supportive of and compassionate towards abstract others. Syrian refugees or the oppressed, you know, whoever they are, in, in a certain abstract way. And yet, it's our own families who we find it hardest to actually have a, a certain kind of empathic, caring response with. So where, where does othering show up for you in its subtle ways or gross ways, in any ways? And that's actually not quite, that's not <coughs> the inquiry I want to do this evening. But I just want to offer that as a, you know, in the, in the sort of follow-on from the ways I've been speaking about other. How do you other? In fact, maybe that can be the kind of homework for the next 24 hours, just to pay attention. London is, I think, the most fabulously and extraordinarily diverse city in the world. Probably New York quite a lot too, but here, the, the, um, the, uh, the degree of different languages and cultures and ethnicities and orientations and expressions and all that that are available on any given street in any given moment is quite extraordinary. And, you know, that's, that's why cities tend to be more liberal than the countryside, right? If my mum had grown up in London, she wouldn't have said that. So there's a, there's a certain kind of predisposition to being more inclusive and more tolerant just by the exposure and the variety and the familiarity with other. And in the course of 24 hours, I'm sure you can notice all kinds of ways in which othering happens. So that's the homework. For the, for the inquiry this evening, I'd like to just uh, offer you the opportunity to kind of meet the sense of other in a more immediate way, in a more intimate way, in a way that just gives you the opportunity to um, um, explore, just to explore the, the, the sense of other, the boundary or non-boundary with other, the, the seeming distance or the dissolution of that distance with other. So, the form that we'll do, and let's see if we have time, I think we might do the whole exercise twice. So we'll do it in, in twos, in partner. Uh, and um, the first five minutes we just sit and look at each other. Right. So just, to do, just to, as much as possible, it's probably helpful to maintain eye contact, but there's no, that's not a hard and fast rule. If, it's, if it, for some reason it feels uh, uncomfortable or uh, difficult in some way and you need to lower your eyes or close your eyes, that's okay. But the, just the, the sense of just of, uh, the contact and just to inquire, there's not that anything should happen, right? That's the spirit of inquiry. How is it to just really <coughs> sit with an other? And to sit in a way that's contactful. And then for after, so five minutes like that, and I think we'll do it all in here and I'll, I'll ring bells so you don't have to worry about timing. And then after the five minutes of silent contact, then the inquiry, it's what's called a dialectic inquiry. Right? So the inqui you're inquiring, there's no theme for the inquiry other than what's here. That's the theme. Well, what's here? 
What's here for me? What's here for you? What's here in the field between us? And that inquiry is moment by moment. So, of course, as you speak, every time you say something, you're affecting the relationship. Right? You're, you're adding to the relationship through the saying, through the hearing. So you're just inquiring, what's, what are you noticing about being here together as you go on? And again, it's an inquiry, so you're doing that in a way that's contactful, that's slow enough that you can actually track your process and describe it. Oh, and when you say that, I notice that this is what happens. And, oh, and it makes me feel that da-da-da-da-da. Oh, and then the other response to that. So you're, just, you're inquiring into the, the being together and the field of the relationship in real time. Does that make, is that clear when I say it like that? Mm -hmm. Does it mean that you're, is this a conversation? Or is one person's... Yeah, yeah, no, it's a conversation. The advanced practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the question is, what's here? Question, yeah. What's going on yeah. Like, well, what's happening? Here we are. Right? We've been sitting together, just in the in that silent contact, and then I'll ring the bell at the end of five minutes, and then you have ten minutes just to explore what's what it what's it like to be here. What are you noticing here? What do you see, think you're noticing there? Right. And it's helpful to not important, in fact, in in speaking, not to in any way tell the other what their experience is. Right? You don't know. You can tell what your experience is. You can tell what you see. You can tell what you feel. You can tell what, uh, what the impressions you have. And if you're curious about the other's experience, uh, you might ask each other. No, no. You're just you're going to sit together silently, looking at each other, looking in each other's eyes for five minutes. And then you're going to have ten minutes to just to speak together about the being together and what it's like and what's happening here. No structure, conversation. No, there's no, there's no question and there's not some theme that you're supposed to follow. Right? The theme is the dialectic that's here. In other words, the field of relationship that's here right now. Mm. So just one clarification too. So when we talk about, when we do the dialectic inquiry, it's about, obviously, the present moment. Yes. Not what's in the past. N no, nothing to do with the past. It's just, it's like, it's what's happening here. I think you'll, I think you'll find your way if we just do it. So, um, can we just start? Or do, I realise we haven't had a loo break. Does, do, do, do we need one? Yeah. Okay, so let's try to do that really quickly because I'd like to have time to do two cycles of that and for us still to have some time. So please use the bathroom if you need to and just come back. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.